welcome. You are listening to the Learning to Believe Again podcast with your host, Brittany Bexton. Where do you begin when you Everyone and welcome to the podcast. I have Danette or Danny Shepherd on with me today. Welcome, Danny. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming. So, could you tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself, what you do now? Sure. Well, by trade, I'm a registered nurse, but the Lord led me out of nursing about 10 years ago and into ministry. And I will go into a little bit of that in my testimony. Um, I'm originally from Oklahoma. I grew up on the Oklahoma-Texas border, and I've lived in various places, but the Lord led me to Southern California about four and a half years ago. So I'm located in the Coachella Valley area right now. Yeah. That's awesome. So I know that you're in ministry now and Mm -hmm. you are totally a warrior for the Lord, but I don't know what your background is like. So did you go to church growing up? Is, is your family Christian? Did you have a background in that or a foundation for it? Yes, I did. I grew up in a Christian home and I was uh, saved and baptized at the age of 11 And my upbringing was Southern Baptist. And the thing about that, and and I am so grateful for my upbringing. So there's nothing, I'm not saying anything wrong about Southern Baptist at all. It's just that they believed in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I was never taught how to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And as we know, you know, that's where the real power is, is with the Holy Spirit, being intimate with the Holy Spirit. So yes, I did have a good foundation. And I'm not even saying that all Baptists believe the way I grew up. I, like I said, I am so grateful for my upbringing because I did, I was grounded to a certain extent, Yeah, but, um, Based on, you know, not really having the Holy Spirit, I didn't really know my true identity and be in an intimate one-to-one relationship with him. Yes, I totally understand that. I grew up in a similar background. My family didn't really attend church, but the churches that I attended with friends and for youth groups, it was similar. Solid Mm -hmm. biblical teaching in those churches. Yes, yes. But not much of an expression of the Holy Spirit generally. And it is different. It's very different. (laughs) It's very different. There was no prophetic and, you know, I just never learned how to operate in the, in the giftings or or the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, me either. So I totally relate to that. So you have this background with the Lord and obviously now you've come into a fullness with the Holy Spirit. What happened in between that led to that? 
Okay. Um, as I started college and moved into adulthood and moved out of my parents' home, many things started going downhill fast. You know, I believed and trusted in God, but I didn't know my true authority in Christ. I knew that there was spiritual warfare, but I didn't know how to engage in spiritual warfare. I did, I, like I said earlier, I did not know my true identity. Yeah. So over a period of time and years, Many things led me to rock bottom. There was divorce. There was physical and domestic abuse. There was rape. There were many deaths of close loved ones in a very short period of time. And, and just failed relationships. And um, what foundation I did have, it just began to crumble. Yeah. And um, a series of events that I just mentioned of searching for the wrong things, the wrong people in the wrong places leads me to my testimony that almost ended in death. Wow. But God, God is powerful. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. So let's fast forward 15 or so years, 15 to 19 years from what I just mentioned and after all those events occurred in my life, um, I began drinking mm. and it was really innocent. And I think it's important for people to know that I wasn't always a drinker because I've had people tell me before, oh, this would never happen to me because I don't like alcohol. I didn't either. I didn't yeah. either. But but wanting to have some sort of community, I would stop off after work at like the local Chili's or Applebee's to yeah. have dinner so I wouldn't have to eat alone. And mm -hmm. I would have a drink. Yeah. And then you meet people around the bar and you realize that these people come in every day. And I got to know them. Yeah. And then I started coming in every day. And so the drinking, you know, this is how the enemy lures you in. Oh, yeah. it's just one drink, right? And then the, the more you drink, the more you have to have to numb your feelings. Yeah. And so it grew, it grew. And mm -hmm. I eventually got a DWI in Texas oh, yeah. and I was arrested and put mm -hmm. in jail. And I had to go on probation. I had the breathalyzer put on my car. I lost my job eventually. And I finally went into isolation and, and had a lot of shame. And I didn't tell my family. The only people that really knew were my drinking buddies. Oh, yeah. They're obviously very helpful <coughs> too. <laughs> yes. 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 So over the, the DWI, it stopped me from drinking and driving. I'm sad to say it did not stop to stop me from drinking. I would just isolate myself in my house. Mm -hmm. And I think this is important to share because this is shows the true sickness of the disease of alcoholism. And I'm not ashamed of my story and I'm not ashamed to share this. You know, I worked 
I I held down my job. I was a functional alcoholic. I held it down for quite some time before I got fired for missing work, not because I was drunk on the job or anything like that, but just for having to miss work. But I would, I had it figured out down to the inch of how much I could drink the night before and what time I had to stop drinking in order to wake up the next morning and be able to start my car because I had the breathalyzer on it and get to work. I knew down to the minute of how long the alcohol would stay in my system. Wow. I had it figured out. And there was so much shame in that. So much shame that I I couldn't tell anybody. And uh, I didn't even tell the people at work until after eventually when I, a few years later, I got fired and then I shared with them. Yeah. And, you know, if I had only gone to them, they would have helped me. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I'm going to fast forward now to after all of this happened, there were major miracles that I just praise the Lord for that culminated between a five month period of time. It was between the months of March and August. The first thing that happened was someone notified my brothers. My parents were deceased at this point and someone notified my two older brothers that I needed help. I did not notify them. Yeah. So they came and they picked me up and they thought they were taking me to a alcohol and drug rehab place. And they really thought that's where they were taking me, but it was actually a mental hospital. Oh yeah. And, uh, but that was the best thing that happened to me. And I'm going to finish the story. Eventually I got out of there in just a couple of days. But what happened to me is I got checked in. It was over the weekend and when, and they left and I'm given this room, they, they take most of your clothes. They take the ties off of your clothes. So you don't hurt yourself. There's no bedding on your bed. There's no nothing. And I go into this room. It's dark outside. I have this open window. There's no curtains because you can hurt yeah. yourself with curtains. Right. I had no intention of hurting myself. I wasn't suicidal. Yeah. But I kneel down at the bed and I cried out to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I said, Lord, I've tried to do it my way all these years. It's time that you have your way. And I yield my heart to you. Mm. Keeping in mind, it's dark in my room. It's dark outside. And this bright light shined right through me as I was kneeling next to the bed. And I had the most beautiful liquid love encounter with the Lord. Wow. He is so amazing. And he is so willing to show up and encounter you, you know, like he wants that moment. He watched all of those years and you know, he just ached for that moment to talk to you yeah. and encounter you. Yeah. So beautiful. So inside I was a changed person and 
I realize I'm in this mental hospital and things are going on all around me that are not, are not normal behavior. And I realized that, you know, yes, I need help, but this isn't where I'm supposed to be. Right. <laughs> so we get one phone call to call home and you have to wait in line for a phone. And I immediately the next day called my brother and I said, um, listen, um, I'm grateful for the help. I do need help, but I'm in the wrong place. And they could hear all of these extraneous things happening in the background with people yelling, people cursing, people running down the hall. My brother said, we're on our way, click. <laughs> and they lived 45 minutes away and they were there in 45 minutes, if not sooner. Yeah. I and, you know, when you put the pedal to the metal. <laughs> Yes. Both of my brothers showed up and they, they didn't know when they checked me in, they'd never dealt with this type of thing. They didn't know what was going on. And they were just trying to get me in a safe space until we could figure out what to do. So anyway, long story short, they got me out of that mental hospital and they drove me to Waco to a rehab, which was located on this beautiful ranch. And that's, that's where I needed to be. Yes. That's where I needed to be. So I'm in Waco and there's so many things that happen. I, I'm at this point where I can't, I can hardly walk. I have something going on with my hip. Oh, wow. And so the, the doctors and nurses at the rehab, they took me into the hospital in Waco to get an x-ray. And the doctor there said, you need a total hip replacement. Mm. And so, and I was in a lot of pain from mm. my hip. And, uh, but obviously I was going to be in this rehab for 32 days and there's nothing I could do until I could get checked out and get home right. and all of that. And so, um, so I couldn't walk. I had, I had a lot of pain. I couldn't be on meds. Right. My hair was falling out in clumps. My stomach was distended. I needed hip surgery. And, but the, here's the good thing. God sustained me through this whole thing. When he encountered me in the mental hospital, that was such a true, beautiful encounter because I did not have to detox. Wow. Typically when you go into a rehab, you have to be in a detox unit. And I did not have to detox. My craving for alcohol was immediately taken away when he encountered me. Amazing. Total I never deliverance. Total deliverance of alcohol. Even so, the detox. Even the detox. And so I'm in, but I still have to be in detox and for usually for seven days, but I didn't have to, my roommate was having seizures. My, you know, all the people are yelling and screaming and, and as far as alcohol goes, it wasn't affecting my body in terms of the detox. 
Yeah. Of course, it was affecting my body in other ways because of the years of drinking, but it wasn't affecting my body in terms of detox. They said I could move out up to an upper floor and that way I wouldn't have to be around all the screaming and yelling and everything. But I couldn't make it up to the second floor because of my hip. I couldn't walk up the stairs. So I was in detox the entire stay. Oh my gosh. But God used that. God used that because as a nurse, they knew I was a nurse. They were having me take blood pressures on my, on my roommate. I was praying for people. Yeah. Um, I mean, not that I still didn't need help. I did, but I was praying for people. People would come to me and say, can you pray over me? So the power of the Holy Spirit was working despite everything still going on inside of me. Yes. It's like, it reminds me of Joseph, you know, his brothers threw him in the pit and he ended up a servant, but he was used in every single place that he went. Amen. Amen. So, yeah, so I stayed in the detox area the entire time. The rehab was on this huge ranch. So uh, meetings were in one building. The uh, sleep arrangements were in one building. The cafeteria was in one building and I couldn't walk to those. So they had to take me around on a golf cart. Every, everywhere I had to go, I was taken on a golf cart. <laughs> and what's interesting, I realized at that point, and I didn't have language for it, that I had also the discernment of spirits gifting, mm -hmm. although I did not have any language to put to that at all. Yeah. Um, because I could always tell when my roommate was about to have a seizure. I could, mm -hmm. I knew it before. Amazing. I know only God, he gets yeah. all the glory. So kind of fast forward, I get out of rehab. My brothers pick me up. I own a home in Dallas, but they live in Duncan, Oklahoma, and they're taking me back there and they're, you know, I'm renting a, a duplex there because I'm going to need hip surgery. They want to keep an eye on me with, you know, everything. I still don't have any craving for alcohol. This has been years later. I've never had a craving for alcohol. So um, I know. So I'm back, I'm back in Oklahoma and they're taking me for surgery evaluation for my hip. That's the next thing. And the surgeon I went to said, and he'd been a surgeon for 30 some years. He said, this is the worst hip he had ever seen in his life. And he didn't know how I was even walking at all. And I barely was walking. Yeah. And so he said, we'll do I'll do a, a hip replacement on you. You're going to need to go in for blood work. You're going to need to go in for a cardiac workup to get anesthesia clearance. So the first thing I did is I went in for cardiac uh, workup with the EKGs and all of that. And what that, what happened is they detected that I'd had a heart attack. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, as a, as a nurse, and I'd worked in the cardiac area before, I was allowed to see all the tests and reports. They let me see them. And sure enough, it was a heart attack. And the, anesthesi the anesthesiologist says, I can't clear you for surgery. I don't know that your heart would make it through. Wow. Okay. So so he says, we're the car. I went back to the cardiologist. He says, we're going to have to do more tests. We're going to have to do more tests. And he, he says, we're going to, we're going to 
do a different type of test to just to see how much damage is there. And so like two weeks later, I went in for more tests and I had prayed this whole time. God, you know, I knew God had, had delivered me from alcoholism. Yeah. I knew it. And so I knew he was going to deliver me. I didn't know how he was going to do it, yeah. but I had faith that he was yes. going to do it. And I went back in for more tests. I went to see the cardiologist to see what the results were. And he said, he said, Danette, I I really don't know what's going on here. We've had multiple people look at your previous tests and you certainly had a heart attack, but your tests now show that there is no damage whatsoever to your heart. In fact, there's nothing showing up that would reveal any type of heart disease. Wow. Hmm. He says, let's take that test again. Yeah. So we did again. It came back normal. Amazing. So, so God healed my heart. So the, so let's back up. I was in rehab. That was in March, right? Yeah. So all of these things that I'm sharing with you right now happened from the months of March through August. So rehab now cardiac. Now I'm cleared. Yeah. So I go back in for blood work for hip surgery. And the surgeon came in with bad news. He said, your blood work reveals that you are in end stage liver failure and didn't, they didn't really know how much time I had to live. And I looked like it. I was jaundiced. My eyes were yellow. My stomach was distended. My hair was falling out in clumps. And my brother was with me in the room. And what's interesting is when we were in that room, when the, when the surgeon came in and told me that news, I heard a voice loud and clear, loud and clear. And it said, I didn't bring you this far to drop you now. Mm, amen. Mm. Basically, Philippians 1.6, it became my lifeline. I knew in my knower that God would heal me. Yeah. So the surgeon said, I need to consult with more doctors to see what we could do, what they could do for me. And they sent me home. I stood on verses. I stood on Luke 137. Nothing impossible for God. There is never anything, never, ever, ever anything impossible with God. Amen. Amen. So the surgeon decided to bring me back in. And he said, I have consulted with numerous surgeons. I have consulted with anesthesiologists. We are cautiously going to move forward with your surgery, with numerous consultations in the room of the day of my surgery. And they would be standing by to monitor me closely. Yeah. So I went back into the hospital on the day of surgery and the surgeon came in. He said, your blood work shows you, you are bleeding. You've got a severe GI bleed. So they rushed me in to, to emergency surgery to, to check the bleed. I had huge ulcers from the oh. alcohol in my stomach. Those are painful too. Yes. And they, they took care, you know, they, they stopped the bleeding. He said, we're going to send you home. It's going to be at least six weeks, if not months later for your, these ulcers to heal. And they, and I, so I couldn't have surgery until that. Yeah. And he said, and, and here I am, my life is hanging on the line too. Right. Yeah. 
So uh, he said, I want to see you in one week, just as a follow-up, just to see the progression of the healing after they put me on medication. And I went back in, they did a scope after one week, my ulcers were healed completely. Complete after one week. And they said one six week. months, six weeks. They said okay. six weeks, if not, if not months. Okay. Wow. One week. <laughs> God is amazing. Oh Isn't my God. Great. So to put that in perspective, it's like, They said at least a month and a half, at least, if not a lot more than that. And in one week, totally Mm -hmm. healed. And not Mm -hmm. just partially, like completely and totally healed. The ulcers completely and totally healed. Amazing. The alcoholism I'm delivered from, the heart is completely healed. The ulcers are completely healed at this point. Amazing. So they schedule me for surgery for my hip replacement and I go in and I have, I get ready for surgery. I'm in on the day for getting pre-opt and everything and they do the surgery. The surgery was successful. When I came out into recovery, um, actually I wasn't really that awake. It was when I was already up into my room, the doctor, the surgeon came in and he said, we almost canceled your surgery, even though you were already put asleep. He says, because your liver enzymes and your ammonia level were so dangerously high, we almost canceled your surgery. Wow. So they, they went ahead and did it and it was, it was successful. So um, I'm in the hospital for a couple of days. I'm sent home. So I'm recovering from surgery from my hip, but I'm still having a hard time breathing because I've got liver disease, end stage liver disease. You know, I'm having a hard time walking because I'm in, I'm in physical therapy. My eyes are yellow. My skin is jaundiced. I couldn't take pain medication. Right. And so about, Four weeks passed. I'm, I'm progressing with my hip, getting help. And I'm in Oklahoma, but I still have this house in Dallas. And I have not been to my house since March when I had gone into rehab. So I'm pretty stubborn headed. I, I, I wasn't supposed to drive, but I drove from Oklahoma to Dallas to check on my house, right? Uh-huh. I, you know, I, I never said I used wisdom and everything I did, but it, it, it was something I did on my drive home from Dallas, um, near Nakona, Texas. I fall asleep at the will. Oh no. And, um, I went into, I, I immediately woke up. I was headed towards a barrier. I slammed on my brakes. It had just started raining outside and my car spins and spins and spins and flips and flips and flips over into a grass median. Oh my gosh. And during this time, I'm awake now experiencing what's happening. And I feel this calm, this peace about me. And I knew that angels were present, but now I'm in this car that smashed up. I'm alive, but they have to cut me out with the jaws of life. And when they come up on me, they think I'm dead. So they're covering me up with blankets and cutting the car, 
trying to get me out. And I said, I'm alive. I'm alive. So they're busting out windshields. They realize I'm alive. Yeah. And they pull me out. They asked me if I'm pregnant. And because my stomach was distended, I said, I said, no, I'm not pregnant. I have end stage liver failure. So they get me to the ER and they did blood tests. And the reason I fell asleep at the wheel is because my ammonia and liver enzymes were so high. It makes you drowsy. Yeah. So that's why I fell asleep at the wheel. They did x-rays. They did everything. They x-rayed my hip. Remember I had hip surgery. So they're thinking, they're thinking my hip's going to be out of place. My hip was fine. I come out of that wreck. I should have died in that car wreck, but I came out of that car wreck with two bruised ribs. That's it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, you were surrounded by angel shields and that. Yes. Yes. And the Lord gave me Genesis 50, 20, what the enemy meant for harm. He means it for good, for the saving of many lives. That is my life verse. And it, and it correlates with Joseph, as you mentioned earlier. Yes. Yes. Because he uses everything. Nothing that we go through will be wasted. Not a thing. So here we are rehab healed of alcoholism, healed heart, healed ulcers, have hip surgery. And now I only have two bruised ribs from a major car accident that should have killed me. Wow. (laughs) I'm back in Oklahoma and I go to my surgeon because he wanted to do follow-up x-rays because it only been a few weeks since I had hip surgery. And he said something could have jostled loose because it'd been so soon. Nothing. Nothing. Wow. <laughs> you Nothing. We're on such a wild journey of faith. Yes, I was. I knew in my knower, don't get me wrong, it wasn't that I was never I was never scared, but I knew deep down in my spirit because God had kept pulling me through. Yeah. I just had to keep standing. Yeah. And so I just kept, I, I just knew that God was going to pull me through. I didn't know what it was going to look like. Mm -hmm. So now that I'm back in Oklahoma, I can't really sleep because if I'm sleeping on my back, I can't breathe because I've got, I've got distension. I can't sleep on my right side because I've had a hip replacement. I can't sleep on my left side because that's where the bruised ribs are. Oh my gosh. So how did you sleep at all? I slept just kind of propped up Uh and I just kept walking. I I was walking in my uh, duplex. I would, I would walk with my walker and, and just declare scripture, declare verses, declare the faith of God, declare that he is good, declare that I am healed by his stripes. And I declare that no weapon formed against me shall prosper and every tongue that rises against me in judgment, I shall condemn in Jesus name. And whatever the enemy meant for harm, God means it for good. He means it for good. And I just kept declaring and declaring and believing it and believing it because I had nothing else to do but believe it and declare it. 
And about a week after the accident, okay, this is what is even such God's story. About a week after the accident, I wake up sweating profusely. Uh-huh. I looked in the mirror. I went into the bathroom. I looked in the mirror and my jaundice was gone. Wow. My swelling was gone. There was no distension in my body or my stomach. Wow. Uh, my entire countenance had changed. I was still, you know, physically, you know, not normal, but my body was morphing. Yeah. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> What is going on? So I called my brother. He came and got me. So we need to get you to the doctor and see what's going on. Cause my everything, I just, I just was thin. My, you know, had lost all this, all this water weight, all this distension, all this everything. And the doctor said, okay, we're going to do some lab work. I really think they thought I was getting ready to move on because, yeah. you know, something wasn't right here. So they did blood work and the doctor comes in and he says, I don't know how to explain this, but all your lab work is normal. <laughs> God is so amazing. <laughs> Isn't he? Only God. But they didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. Yeah. They were baffled. They didn't believe it. None of the doctors have believed anything that I've shared with you today. They were baffled. Even with and scientific proof, they still struggled. They still struggle. But I do pray that seeds were planted. And, yeah. you know, so he says, we'll need to do the blood work over. This is obviously not accurate. So they did the blood work over. And guess what? It came back normal. And they did the blood work over. And guess what? It came back normal. And then they did the blood work again. And it came back normal. Oh, wow. That is so amazing. You know what it reminds me of is when Elijah is praying for rain and he says, look again, look again, and there are no clouds, mm -hmm. but then there's a cloud, except it's the opposite. They were trying so hard to prove that it wasn't, but God's like, no, I've already done it. doesn't matter how many times you look. <laughs> exactly. That's good. That's good. Yes. It, it was just my brother was like, wow, you know, so here we are, the, the car accident, I remember dates so well, I don't know why, um, I don't know if it's, I don't know what it has to do with, it's prophetic, but my accident was on August 19th, okay. okay, I got put into rehab March 24th, so all of these, all of these events culminated within a five-month period. That is so wild and amazing. Mm-hmm. So in and, five months, delivered yes. from alcohol, mm -hmm. healed from a heart attack completely, heart mm -hmm. healed, healed of stomach ulcers completely, mm -hmm. miraculously mm -hmm. and instantly, mm -hmm. able to do a hip surgery, survive mm -hmm. a crazy, intense car wreck that could have killed you and should have by all natural understanding, mm -hmm. and then miraculously healed of end stage liver failure overnight. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. How can you not believe? <laughs> you know? I I still I still get emotional thinking about it because he's such a good good God. 
He's such a good, good God. And for anybody who doesn't believe, how can, like you said, how can you not believe in the power of God? And I wasn't doing anything special. I wasn't going to some, you know, church healing or having people lay hands on me. And all that's good. I believe in that. But I was just, I was just walking in what I knew he could do. And I had the power of the Holy Spirit within me, which I didn't for so long of a period of time in my life. Yeah. He honored your surrender. He did. He did. Obedience and surrender and the yielding. Yes. When we give it all to him, he does amazing, miraculous things with all that we have to give, even if what we have to give is almost nothing. Amen. Amen. So here we are. I am healed, but I still need inner healing. There's a lot of things that have to be processed from years of things that I had come into agreement with, things that I had um, allowed into my life. So he started, the Lord started doing a cleansing. Mm. And about A year later, this was about a year, not even quite a year after my hip surgery, he, the Lord led me to sell my house in Dallas. Mm -hmm. He asked me to sell my house and everything in it. Wow. (laughs) And asked me to quit my job. He said, you've been on call all of your life for your work. Now I would like for you to be on call for me. Wow. And he was sending me to the nations and he was going to start sending me to different countries. And, And in hindsight, that was part of my healing process. So I put my house up for sale in Dallas. The first week it was sold. It, it got an offer the first week. It's actually sold the second week and God brought a cash buyer, because here I am after all he's done, I'm like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to go to the nations? Because now I'm quitting my job after everything he's done. I'm questioning, right? (laughs) Silly, huh? Sometimes we have to work on the faith in all of the areas. We might have faith in one area and then struggle in another, but Mm -hmm. he's so gracious with us. Thank God. He's so gracious. And I think that's an ongoing thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and so um, sold the house immediately, brought a cash buyer. So they wanted to close quickly. Yeah. And I had the cash from the sale. I quit my job in one day. Usually you give a two weeks notice, but God said, no. I said, but, but God, but God, he says, no, I quit in one day. I went and told them the Lord is leading me to quit and I have to quit today. And thankfully they were gracious about it, but that's not normally how you do things. But you know, when God asks you, when God asks you to do something, you, you, it's usually not normal. Yeah, And two weeks later, I was on a plane to El Salvador with Joyce wow. Meyer Ministries. Wow. So how did that come up? Well, I had, I had always watched Joyce Meyer on TV, even during my drinking phases. I would even be in my house drinking um, vodka. 
and be watching and praising the Lord and walking around my house, you know, praising the Lord in the middle of my drinking. Wow. So there was like this struggle of back and forth. I knew, I knew the word, I knew what I needed to do, but there was this, I wasn't free from this. Yeah. I needed deliverance. Mm -hmm. And so I applied, I knew I wouldn't get accepted and I did. <laughs> I got my passport immediately and I ended up doing Joyce Meyer ministry trips in 15 different nations wow. over the years. And then he pulled me out of that. But I look back in hindsight, a lot of that was healing. I was helping others. I was getting the opportunity to help and minister to others, but it was also healing my heart. Yeah. And I was bonding with the right divine connections in my life, which I didn't have before. Yes. And that that's so beautiful and important. I mean, the Lord leads us to who we need and what we need in the moment if we're willing to receive. Yes. And that's how I met my best friend, Wendy Mark. We've been friends for years. We were roommates on my first mission trip to El Salvador. Oh didn't know each other. The first and one. Yeah. My first one, not her first, yeah. but it was my first one. We were roommates. Yeah. And we've been best friends since, since oh, years amazing. ago. Yeah. So he puts, he was healing my heart and um, putting me in the right places at the right time with the right people, which is so crucial. Yes, it really is. Uh -huh. The people that we're surrounded by can either bring us down or they right. can bring us up. And they can either bring us away from God or towards God. And they can either bring us away from our purpose or into our purpose. And it Amen. is so important to be discerning about who is who and what is what and choose well with wisdom. Yes. Alignments are crucial. Yes. Yes. The enemy so. can use someone to pull us down just as fast as God can use someone to bring us up. So it's about us making the choice to choose up. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So that is basically my testimony in a nutshell. There's so many intricacies that happened in between all of that that I don't have time to share. Hopefully, yeah. maybe I will put it in a book someday. He's still revealing things to me. I still, days I will walk around and he'll be like, you know, I did this also. And I'm like, wow, God. Yeah. Wow, God. But yeah. I... You know, if there's anyone out there struggling with addiction or anything like that, I just want to encourage you because, you know, I, people ask me about that. They say, oh, you're a recovering alcoholic. I said, no, I am not a recovering alcoholic. I'm a healed, free, delivered from alcoholism. Amen. And John 8.36 says, for whom the sun sets free, he is free indeed. Amen. And I just want to encourage those out there that are, have any type of addiction or any type of physical ailment that God is with you. I don't know how he will heal you or how he will deliver you because everyone is different. Mm -hmm. But he can touch you. He can touch you, but the key is to surrender and let him have his way. Yes, and amen. 
there are a few things that you said during that I just want to bring up now. I didn't want to interrupt you because you were on a roll, but you said that there were people that had told you that they could never have a problem with alcohol because they don't even like alcohol. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of the time people think that they would not struggle with something and therefore they're not aware and watchful. But it says in the Bible that we need to be watchful because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking Mm -hmm. whom he can devour. And that doesn't mean that he just preys on the people that are already struggling. He preys on the strong because the people that are Mm -hmm. strong are the enemy's biggest nemesis, really. That means that none of us, not a single one of us, is exempt to being tempted, to being attacked, or to dealing with something that the enemy sends. He prowls, and it comes in in sneaky and counterfeit ways, as you said. And the most dangerous place to be is to think that you're exempt and it doesn't apply to you. Instead of knowing in humility that you can be tempted, that there are things that happen that could put you in that position. And in that place of humility, we have to look to God because God is the answer to everything that comes our way and every temptation that we deal with. So that really struck me. Because it's easy for people to judge what they don't understand. But the truth is that none of us is exempt to those difficulties. The strongest of us can still be attacked in those ways. And it is only through humility and surrender to the Lord that we are safe. That's right. So that was one thing that really popped up. Yes. Another thing that really stood out was you were talking about shame and how you'd struggled for so long, but you didn't want to let anyone in because you were so ashamed of what you were going through. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there are people's commentary, you know, the judgmental stuff that doesn't help. But as you said, there were also all of these people that would have helped you had you opened up. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely is the truth so frequently, you know, shame. I've always felt like shame is the biggest distance between us and others, whether that be the distance between us and God or the distance between us and the people that love us. Because shame can be a wall where there's no wall. You had people that love you that were willing to help, but the shame was blocking it even though it was there. And that's another while of the enemy is he wants to isolate you. He wants you to feel shame so you will isolate yes. yourself and not get help so he can yes. take you out. But as you said, 1 Peter 5, 8, the devil uh, prowls around like a roaring lion. And it is real, folks. It is real. Yeah. Yeah. And the reality is people that love you want you to be well and get help. They might not understand every aspect of it, but they want you to be well and get help. So there mm-hmm. isn't judgment. There's help for you there. Yes. There's no reason to be ashamed. No reason. And I know it can be hard to just release that, but sometimes just making that choice to give it to God and being willing to ask and reach out is the first step and God will deal with the rest. And then lastly, what you had said, of course, you already brought it up, but surrender. 
it doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter where you are or what mess you've ended up in because of the years or days or whatever it is that you've been in the wrong place or down the wrong path. Surrender to the Lord and he can take what you're left with and bring total restoration. And he will not waste a single thing that you have been through or a single thing that you have done. He will turn it for good. Just as you said, Genesis 50, 20, even to save the lives of many. The things that you've walked through are the things that you can deliver others from. Not that you can't deliver others from different things, but you have authority in those areas in a deeper way because you've walked through them. Yes. Amen. What we overcome, we have authority over. Amen. Yes. So if you could leave the audience with one thought to take with them from today, what would it be? I would just say that God loves so deeply and so intimately that if you or anyone you know is struggling even with a health issue, uh, it can be addiction, it can be with anything. Know that God will restore, he will renew, he will revive, he will rejuvenate. He brings it all together. He brings it all together, full circle, full circle. And he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop. He is faithful to finish the good works he started in you, which is essentially the first thing I heard from him in the hospital was, I didn't bring you this far to drop you. Philippians yeah. 1, 6, he is faithful. Amen. Believe. Amen. Oh, so, so, so good. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your testimony with us today. Sure. It has been Thank such a blessing to have you, Danny. Thank oh, you. Thank you so much. I honor you and I honor the call of God on your life. And I appreciate you having me on. Oh. Well, I appreciate you and thank you listeners for joining us today. Have a blessed week and I will talk to you next week. to